welcome to Astrophiles, where the universe is your playground and space is accessible to everyone. Welcome back to Astrophiles episode three. Can you believe we're already in our third episode, Kimberly? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel like the other two really just flew by. Um, But we're back and we're following um, the same structure we did last time where one of us did the research and then the other one kind of asks questions. So today's topic is the Andromeda galaxy and uh, Kimberly, uh, it was her turn to do all of the research, so she'll be educating all of us on everything Andromeda, <laughs> and I'll ask some questions along the way. So I am super excited. I'm curious, you know, how how the research went, and if you found out some awesome stuff. I did. I did actually find out a lot of things that I didn't know, a lot of really cool things, and it made me wish that I could travel there, which is impossible because it is 2.5 million light years away. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so curious about it. That's awesome. Well, maybe someday we can take some kind of virgin galactic flight (laughs) over there. Hopefully, before I die, that would be amazing. (laughs) Awesome. So the Andromeda galaxy, it is a spiral galaxy in the constellation Andromeda, and it's the nearest large galaxy. And people used to think that it was a nebula, but thanks to Hubble, we know that it is not. It's a galaxy. And um, it's you can see it with your naked eye, which is cool. And if you want to find it, you can find it in it's visible in both the northern and southern hemispheres in the northern hemisphere it can be seen from august to february and in the southern hemisphere uh, it can be viewed from october to december so i think that's pretty cool that you can actually see it and you know it needs to be dark so and anywhere in rural new mexico you could probably go check it out (laughs) wow so when you're looking at it in the sky does it just to the naked eye look like a regular kind of star like would you be able to tell it apart from any other kind of star object in the sky I think it looks a little bit like a blur just the naked eye but um it's it appears like a cloud of faint light and then it's it looks like the size of the moon but it's actually uh, larger. It's actually larger than the moon. Wow, that's amazing. Also, I'm just going to tease you. Your little southern, like your southern roots came up. You said yeah. naked eye. And it was like, oh my gosh, so cute. <laughs> yeah, it does come out. I was raised over there. So. <laughs> uh, that made me laugh. Um, well, that's cool. Wow, so it's bigger than I was kind of. Well, it appears picturing. six times wider than the full moon in the night sky. Wow, yeah, it's really sizable. So it doesn't then look like just a dot in the sky. It's like an actual mm. like smudge. <laughs> like a like a yeah, like a smudge of faint light in the sky, you can see. <laughs> so in Albuquerque, you know, I don't think we're gonna see it with all the light pollution, but there's so many beautiful places that we could go and and definitely I would love to do some photography in that, but that's a whole other <laughs> category but um so you said it was a spiral galaxy um 
so I, I mean, I know what that means because I've seen pictures of different galaxies, but I guess, um, I mean, how many, and maybe I'll get into this, so I just need to be patient, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I guess in, in its galaxy, how many different systems are in there or like, how big is it, I guess, compared to our solar or our galaxy, excuse me. Andromeda is more than double the size of our Milky Way. Um, it has a radius of 110,000 light years, um, whereas the Milky Way's radius is approximately 52,800 light years. Wow, so that's humongous. I feel like, I mean, does that like double the chances that life could have formed there? <laughs> oh, well, this is the interesting thing because... A lot of scientists think that there is life there because um, there's trillions of stars and um, and they think that there definitely could be life there. Just, there's no way right now for us to investigate that. So uh, and there's a trillion there's a trillion suns there <clears throat> and then they have planets that orbit them. So they think that there's a lot of potential for life but there's just no way to investigate it at this point yeah that is wild it seems like there's a ton of potential there um especially yeah like given the size and the number of suns that seems like there are quite a few candidate <laughs> places to look in the future when we um can actually get real-time data from so far away i'm imagining that's the issue that the distance the light has to travel is preventing us from getting a clear view of what's going on now. Yes, yes, and it's just it's impossible to investigate at this point, but but logically it seems like there definitely it has more potential than other places for sure. Um it makes me wonder about, you know, the chances of life evolving in in another um galaxy. I had actually been a a guest on another podcast called sleepwalkers podcast um a few months ago and did a kind of an episode explaining the drake equation which kind of helps people estimate the number of intelligent civilizations there are and it just seems like you know that the conditions in the andromeda galaxy based on what you're saying are kind of you know make it for a really good candidate place for life to come about yeah especially with the suns and then the planets and orbiting those suns and um yeah they think that it's just really there's many potential planets i guess so they think that maybe one of them has harbored life at one point or something because it's just it's set up it just kind of mirrors us in a lot of ways not exactly but is that like i mean in your research did you look into how many potentially habitable planets there could be so there's currently one very strong candidate planet uh temporarily named pa-99-n2 i feel like that's the the least the like least memorable planet name <laughs> they could have come up with <laughs> i'm like thanks guys that's real sweet of you i'll never remember that i know all right and so finding planets outside of our solar system is very difficult because the planets they don't emit light there's no confirmed data regarding the existence of a planet in the andromeda galaxy however there could be the possibility of planets within the Goldilocks area of its stars, which would have liquid water to sustain life. 
That is very cool. So they can't, I guess, in other words, when we look outside of the Milky Way, you're saying that our technology can't actually see those planets, but we're making some assumptions based on where water could exist and not either become ice or evaporate. Mm -hmm. And so they're just kind of assuming that if planets exist in that band, they could potentially sustain life. Yes. Okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And then they use this Goldilocks, these Goldilocks worlds for that. So (laughs) that is interesting. There's a trillion stars there. So that means there are potentially a trillion suns there. And with some of them having planets that orbit them, And so with that many potential planets, a lot of scientists feel that one of them must have harbored life at some point. That is, I mean, I feel like the odds then would become pretty good. Although, yeah, I think like statistically that would make sense, especially if each of those was, did you say a thousand potential suns? trillion a trillion oh my gosh <laughs> yes <laughs> okay so well, if there's a trillion possible suns that means there could be a trillion possible goldilocks zones um so it seems like that sounds pretty good and if that's more or less twice as much twice as many suns as what we have in the milky way and we have one known <laughs> planet with life i feel like I don't know. The odds are in our favor a little bit. I think it's I think it's very promising and exciting. So that's why I, I don't think Mars wouldn't be first on my list. I think I would want to go over there. <laughs> yeah. Mars is old news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mars doesn't appeal to me so much. I'm not sure why, but I agree. It also just there's something about Mars that that makes me feel like it's a bad idea to go there. <laughs> I don't me know. Me too. Just something instinctually, I guess. But maybe that's because it's probably just know. the basic lack of oxygen. Just yeah. screams <laughs> against our senses. <laughs> We're like, no, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. No atmosphere. No bueno. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but the Andromeda galaxy is in the same group of galaxies that we're in, the Milky Way. Um, but it's it's the largest galaxy in this group of more than 30 others. So there's like a grouping that we're part of. And Andromeda is part of it as well. But even though it's double the size of the Milky Way, its mass is about the same because the Milky Way is believed to have more dark matter. Interesting. I wonder why. They have no idea why. I did look for that. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting. I feel like even when, and they're still doing it now, but scientists thought that the Milky Way was much, uh, not as long um, as it is. And they were off by a lot because it took them forever until I think it was like 2019 to realize how much dark matter there was in the Milky Way. And it made it way, 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 way longer than they thought. So it's kind of interesting that maybe based on that lesson, they're already looking for dark matter proactively in other galaxies because they're like, we messed up measuring ours. Now we know what to look for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And um. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to, um, of course, talk about how it's expected to collide with the Milky Way in about 4.5 billion years. And then um, they don't know exactly what's going to happen, but they think that it's not really going to be that big of a deal and that Earth is going to be fine. But there's going to be like 
an extraordinary light show in the sky. So that I wish I would be alive for that because that would be cool. But how often? I wonder. I don't even know. Like how often there like galaxies collide in general <laughs> in the universe. Uh, but it seems like it would take. I and mean, you said how long? In it'll take about three point seven five. I'm sorry, three point seventy five billion years. Yeah, for the collision to occur. And so a lot of experts believe that Earth will most likely survive that collision, and that um, the planet will most likely be unharmed because the galaxies are made up of mostly empty space. Or so they think. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like collide is a really dramatic way for them to say. <laughs> it's more like they'll merge and become one. <laughs> yes. And then it's, they'll continue to kind of tug at each other for years until the central black holes in each galaxy get close enough to merge as one. And then once they've merged... Um, our solar system will be an entirely different type of galaxy known as an elliptical galaxy. That is wild. Which means, yeah, our entire galaxy will transform. And philosophically, that's actually amazing to think about because nothing is really fixed in the universe in a way, you know, because um, as human beings, we kind of just were in our little bubbles and things seemed fixed, but there really, there's nothing in the universe that's so super fixed. Like maybe it will be that way for a long time, but nothing just kind of stays stagnant. Yeah, that is super interesting. And it, it just kind of begs the question. So once they merge and become a new galaxy, is that galaxy then going to be on a collision course with something else at that point in time? I mean, it seems like it would be really hard to model that scenario, you know? When I was researching, it said that you would, um, if you lived on Earth at that time, you would be able to see all this throughout the sky for many years. So you would actually see the, the transition and everything. And I'm sure, at least I hope, humanity will be far advanced by that time, you know, if we're still around. So hopefully no one's scared and they're all prepared for it and things like that. But it would be exceptional to see. And if it happened now, I mean... I don't honestly think that humans could handle it. We have people that would definitely be paranoid about it, for sure. And I'm not sure how it would go down. So, you know, maybe the universe has perfect timing and, and spacing that so far away <laughs> from us now. Yeah, that is true. I, you know, it's making me think that timeline is so long. It's so far out there. I wonder, I mean, I've always heard that at some point, and I can't remember the exact timeline off the top of my head, but that our sun and our solar system will eventually burn out. So I'm wondering if that will happen before or after <laughs> we merge. Yeah. And then I think what I was reading in my research is that it would happen after and then we would get some kind of super sun, basically. But yeah. Andromeda is, is a very mysterious place because it's just teeming with black holes as well. And then um, recently in 2022, a black hole that was discovered there helped us understand how galaxies are actually formed, which is super cool. But it's just teeming with black holes. I love black holes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. So there are around one trillion suns, as I said, in the Andromeda galaxy compared to between 100 and 400 billion stars for our own Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way, it's imagined to be considerably heavier because it probably possesses more dark matter and dark energy. But um, 
Andromeda is kind of a weird place because it has a double nu nucleus. And uh, it's likely because somewhere between five and nine billion years ago, two smaller galaxies merged together. So I feel like it has a history of hostile takeovers. <laughs> yeah, it's a hostile place. Yes, actually, it's called um, it's called the bully by a lot of scientists because it's very hostile. <laughs> kind of shreds everything apart and then it has it's like tearing it apart, basically. I wonder, yeah, I mean, if it has a lot of mass. Um sounds like you know <laughs> that could be how it's gaining its mass it has eaten another galaxy it is an eater it loves to eat <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna circle way back to that spiral galaxy thing that you had yeah so andromeda like the milky way it's a spiral galaxy and it has a concentration of matter in the middle that causes a budge and then the budge it's kind of like it has a circle around it with a disk of stars and gas and has a large halo, which make, to me makes it look really, really cool. I love the way it looks. It looks like a pancake, <laughs> which is fitting for it since it's such an eater. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk about when they collide because it changes the galaxy. Well, I think it's interesting the speed that it's moving around 110 kilometers per second towards us it's just kind of whoop, milky way i'm hungry i'm coming <laughs> that's wild and so is i mean is the milky way moving towards it as well i mean you said they're on the collision path so i'm kind of assuming are we just minding our own business and it's flying at us <laughs> <laughs> okay so the they're, we're moving at the same speed towards one another, apparently. So we apparently are attracted to each other. We're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting because with like the expansion of space, you know, there's basically more, more of the fabric of space being generated at all times. It's kind of the space itself is expanding. Um, so it's kind of interesting, you know, like that, that, is probably contributing to this outward motion for I'm assuming outward motion for Milky Way and inward motion from Andromeda um yeah I think it'll be interesting to see if that continues to pan out over time obviously we'll be long dead and <laughs> our yeah. ancestors will also be long dead <laughs> if we have any <laughs> uh, but yeah it just seems like is that the kind of thing that could change over time or shift or you know if other galaxies nearby um, or also on a collision path, would their gravitational pull change that trajectory at all? Uh, it'll, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's interesting too that we both have uh, a central supermassive black hole, and and that they will kind of once we collide, eventually those will merge into one. So, and then it'll be the center of the newly formed galaxy over a period of time. That might take millions of years. So <laughs> I wonder at what point do they consider if two black holes merge, at what point do they consider them a new third black hole and give it a new name? You know, like how how complete <laughs> does the merger have to be and how extremely hard would it be to say to be able to assess that and say it's done? <laughs> so what happens is once they come so close to each other that they cannot escape each other's gravity they will completely merge together. And then apparently the event is extremely violent, <laughs> which is exactly what you would expect. 
And then, but it takes a very long time, apparently. So about a hundred million years. Compared to the long con that the Andromeda galaxy is executing, I feel like, you know, compared to that, whatever it was, one or three billion years, a hundred million year merger of black holes is kind of like fast on that timeline. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is something I'll have to look up later to see the graphics of, but like, you know, you can see those mathematical models of black holes that show Um, the gravity on the event horizon and then how the gravity increases down into infinity eventually um, at the you know center point of the black hole Mm -hmm. it would just be cool to see what the the models look like of two black holes merging like what then is the new event horizon kind of this funky shape of the outer perimeter of each black hole um, or you know does it have two points of, in, you know, where gravity is uh, set to infinity until they merge fully? I don't know. I just feel like I'm going to be nerding out about that tonight. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Looking up <laughs> graphics. <laughs> so apparently they, uh, when they merge, they release gravitational waves and fluctuations in the fabric of space time. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, you are going to be nerding out for sure on that because... <laughs> Which means they'll be bending light even more than they normally do. Because that's, so the only way we know a black hole exists, um, it emits no light. (laughs) Um, So we have to just see kind of how space-time, the curvature of space-time bends around it and light as well. Uh, So it's... It may, it's interesting to me how that would increase or change with the, the influx of gravitational waves that you just mentioned. Yeah, and they've never actually observed uh, merging supermassive black holes. So I think they, um, they said they have to use high-precision x-rays to kind of investigate it. So that's way, way above my head, but, but it's really interesting. And that's another reason that this couldn't happen today, because we just don't have enough information on, on what would happen to make people feel safe enough where they wouldn't go absolutely crazy if this happened today. So <laughs> people are afraid of black holes in general. So I feel like any messaging about what they're up to has to be done very carefully. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So that's what I wanted to talk about. In 2017, two supermassive black holes were found in the Andromeda galaxy, and they're the closest orbiting pair ever documented, which is really interesting. And they could actually collide in less than 350 years and merge as one large black hole. So that might actually give them some more insight into all this as well. Wow. So they're close to each other. They're, they must be very close. Yes. 350 years? Away. 350 years, yes. Well, they're expected to merge. That is really cool. Yeah, unlike the timeline, the universe's timeline, that's extremely, extremely, extremely quick. <laughs> <laughs> definitely i mean we're still not gonna get there but <laughs> but that's still i mean in 350 years i'm sure that we'll still you know humanity will still be around and we'll still be doing research so at least we'll have some i feel like it'll give us good preparation for what's to come with being able to observe something like that absolutely it gives i think researchers time to plenty of time to think about, you know, what do we need to be looking at now for black holes in order to set ourselves up, like slowly gain enough knowledge to make that event worthwhile when we capture data at that point. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to really focus on research when it comes to space and and all that, because I know that there's 
you know, with a lot of political discourse around it, like we don't need it. There's more pressing things. And I agree there's a lot of pressing things, but it's not really just about us and our lifetimes, but you know, everyone who comes after us. And yeah, that reminds me of a random fact I had heard where when NASA collects samples of things from other planets, um, and brings it back or the moon or whatever and brings brings samples back to earth they only test a very small amount of those materials and they say they put the rest in in long-term storage because they know that over you know decades and and many years our technology will progress and so if we put the rest of the samples aside and wait you know 10 years or 50 years or 100 years the, the technology that we have will actually be able to get way better insights or more meaningful insights um, from the materials in the future, which just reminded me of, of what you just said. <laughs> that's great, actually. That's wonderful to have that, like that set up. It's, it's really, it makes that's sense. why they're, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why they're out there doing that stuff. But it takes a lot of patience and resisting, I think, a lot of societal pressure to actually set aside precious precious materials and wait to test them definitely and especially when there's pressures about uh, finances and a lot of rhetoric around that and is this really necessary kind of talk so yeah which makes me feel more confident honestly because they're they're not really with that in in mind you know they're kind of just like well this is the right thing to do So you were talking about those two black holes that are going to merge in 350 years. I feel like the real mind bender here is that already happened two million light years or two million years ago. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they are already merged and we're just waiting for the information to get, you know, to reach us so we can get caught up. It's so true. It's really trippy when you think about it. It's just yeah. real trippy. Yeah, and it's then, like a serious, serious time delay. <laughs> <laughs> We're behind as usual. <laughs> yeah, like we have to wait 350 more years to find out what happened 2 million years ago. <laughs> it's sort of like a cosmic joke in a way. <laughs> it's like the Earth, or I don't know, it's like the Milky Way and Andromeda, like a knock-knock joke, like knock-knock, and then this 2 million year pause. <laughs> <laughs> before you find out who's there you're like were you just kidding or <laughs> yeah so oh yeah they used to think that the milky way was the most massive galaxy in our local group but it's probably andromeda and it's it's because of that dark matter that they didn't account for do you have any more information on or were you able to look up anything else on what the group is like the grouping of those um galaxies um i think you had mentioned there were like 30 something of them and like why were those grouped together are they all all spiral galaxies are they just nearest to each other in the universe or kind of what's the rationale behind forming a group so the local group galaxies are all located uh within roughly five million light years of space around us and so the local group's diameter as a whole is about 10 million light years wow and how many galaxies are in the group um, over 30 galaxies are considered to be in the local group. So the other ones must be really small, just doing some kind of back of the napkin math. If if you said the Andromeda is about 2 million-ish wide, um, or in radius, you said, or no, diameter, uh, 2 million light years, including its dark matter. I think the um, 
Milky Way galaxy, if memory serves, is something like a million or two as well, if you count the the dark matter. Um, and so if you add those together, we're at like three or four million light years. And so if we're getting up to 10, it just seems like those two galaxies alone are taking up a huge, almost half of that space. And yes. The other, the other ones must be much, much smaller. Yes. And then um, actually, if anyone wants to go look it up, um, on the internet that has these really cool pictures of, of all of them so that's really interesting so we're basically like neighbors and they're two mansions and a bunch of tiny homes <laughs> kind of <laughs> yeah. next to each other we're in the mansion so like we can all say that at least so. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's wild to me just gravitationally that well I guess because we're the largest I was just thinking and kind of brainstorming out loud like why would the two biggest ones be on a collision course and why wouldn't the smaller ones be moving you know very quickly as well but it I guess it does make sense that the two galaxies with the highest mass would be moving the fastest towards each other so that checks out but (laughs) I was just (laughs) thinking like why why wouldn't you know the little ones get eaten I wonder if the smaller ones are on collision courses with themselves like is this neighborhood just a hot mess of <laughs> galaxies merging like, there's just fighting they're like <laughs> fighting <laughs> okay so the rest of the group is made up of smaller fainter dwarf galaxies um, many of which are satellites of the milky way or m31 So the group is probably changing all the time and interacts with and moves between other nearby groups. And so, yeah, the the neighborhood is kind of crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't, you know, I had not heard of the group thing before. So that's a really cool, really cool to learn about. Yeah, it is actually really, really interesting. And um, so how the Milky Way and the Andromeda galaxy dominate the group pretty much so and so and with that in mind too just kind of intuitively not like that's proof or anything but it would make sense if Andromeda harbored life yeah and that does yeah I agree I feel like you know when I had done that other episode just kind of um so I was only focused on on the Milky Way. And so in, in the episode that I was uh, a guest of, I had um, been asked to speak about the Drake equation that I mentioned earlier. And so it's not like a real equation. It's not solvable. Most of the variables are unknowable at this point. But just using some like, you know, total, complete, conservative estimates, um, I was able to, you know, quote unquote, solve it for um, 14 planets with intelligent life in the milky way and again like that's not a concrete number at all i had to make my own assumptions about things like uh you know the the variables in the drake equation represent a bunch of different things but um the unknowable parts of like you know if um if a planet is in a habitable zone and some kind of star system what's the percentage of um, like microbial type life evolving there and then that evolving into intelligent life that in turn um, develops kind of calm systems using um, the electromagnetic, you know, like some kind of electromagnetic technology that could be transmitted. So I feel like a lot of those variables very quickly become unknowable, but even making pretty conservative estimates, I thought it was interesting, like very, very conservatively, there could be 14 other 
planets um, like Earth teeming with intelligent civilizations that could communicate with us. Um, so it makes sense, you know. I feel like a lot of those things, um, the initial variables in the equation uh, speak to how many how many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy that have uh, planets that orbit around them. And then of those, like a bunch of other variables come into play. But if the Andromeda galaxy has way more star systems, more s- potential suns than the Milky Way, it feel, I, I feel like you could kind of do some some armchair math uh it would be so fun (laughs) and it would be more that the number would probably be higher than than the number for the milky way intuitively it seems like if there is yeah it it, it seems like i think i'm on the side with the scientists that think that there's a high probability of of life so i feel i'm very undecided on that i feel like it seems super conceited and short-sighted to say that it could be only earth and nowhere else in this massive universe i just feel like some because the variables are are unknowable like you there's no way to prove most of the variables in the drake equation it's hard to get a sense for how realistic it is or how near any kind of intelligent civilization that could have evolved is to us even just you know, in this conversation, right, like it, everything we're seeing in the Andromeda galaxy happened two million years ago. So this is, you know, something that I've said, I think, in the, maybe one of our other episodes, or maybe it was on the guest episode uh, for that, uh, for the other podcast uh, for Sleepwalkers. But if we were on in the Andromeda galaxy on one of those, on, you know, habitable, potentially habitable planets looking at Earth, we would not see human civilization at all they would be seeing a picture of us from two million years ago right um, and so it, it just is hard I feel like you know it's good to keep an open mind it's just scientifically so hard to come to not even proof but any kind of like safe assumption yeah, exactly because it's just all very confusing you know what I mean it's like a house of mirrors in a way but <laughs> but yeah I think that um just with the setups and stuff I think that if I were if I were a scientist I would of course not be making up my mind about it but I would be oh definitely open to it yeah for sure it's kind of like you can't prove that there is intelligent life anywhere else but there's no proof to sh- or evidence showing that there isn't and I'm, some scientists say the evidence is that we look at our solar system and there's no intelligent life anywhere. We look at, you know, Proxima Centauri system and there's no life there and that's really near us. And so they kind of make this leap of logic that therefore there's no intelligent, there are no other intelligent civilizations anywhere. And I feel like that's too big of a leap. <laughs> you can't say that. Definitely. I think it's too big of a leap and also because our technology is so limited and we don't necessarily know everything about what we're even looking at. So, mm-hmm. and that That's continues great. to evolve. So yeah, very true. And so what we think we're looking at, we might not even be looking at as we discovered in our last episode. So <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly. Yes. And that's what I mean about it sort of being a house of mirrors. And that's what makes it so such a slippery kind of slope where you can't really say anything definitively. And, but it is really fun to speculate. Yeah. <laughs> Speculating <laughs> is very, very fun. And kind yes. of the, best, the most we can do right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so surrounding the supermassive black hole at the heart of the Andromeda galaxy 
there's that central bulge and then it has this like wide disc of 400 blue st uh, stars orbiting it at 2.2 million miles per hour which is insane to me yeah and the disc it's five light years away from the black hole and so it's it, it's um been encapsulated by this ring of older red stars and it's just it's just very unusual it's it's like the weird placement of these things actually suggests that the blue stars are older than the red stars usually when things are moving quickly like that the light on um like the em spectrum will blue shift towards the literal blue end of the spectrum when um objects are moving towards you and red shift towards obviously the red end of the spectrum when they're moving quickly away from you. So I wonder if that's coming into play as well, if the blue objects are moving in one direction and the red objects are moving opposite away. I w I'm not sure, but that sounds actually very legit to me. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's like... I <laughs> It's just, it was interesting to me how, how quickly they're moving. 2.2 million miles per hour. So compared to how fast the Andromeda galaxy is moving towards um, the Milky Way galaxy, those are moving way faster than the entire galaxy is moving as a whole. Yeah, and it's just so it's just so interesting. It's just all of these moving parts. And that's another thing. The House of Mirrors, it's just... There's so many complex moving parts and, and somehow it seems to be working together in a way, you know, and you brought that up about our sun. So I wonder if, yeah, if there's a, you know, there could be like a reason for the collision, basically. Yeah, the older, you said the ring is older stars so the way that they're positioned these stars it suggests that the blue stars are actually older and they're on their way to becoming red uh red giants that shed their outer layers to reveal their blue hot cores <laughs> <laughs> so dramatic <laughs> yes everything about andromeda is very dramatic <laughs> yeah it does sound that way <laughs> oh cool it makes you wonder like why they formed a ring there's obviously some kind of gravitational thing at play with the black hole i'm assuming and maybe you know maybe it, so you had mentioned earlier that the andromeda galaxy already had one collision with um another galaxy yeah so it makes you wonder if maybe those stars were like the ogs or maybe if that ring formed as part of the collision like the older stars got sucked closer to the black hole and started orbiting it and then you know are burning out i don't know oh yeah that is a really good question i feel like i'm contributing nothing but more complicated questions to this episode <laughs> so like we need to do some follow-up on on a couple of these yes. things it'd be cool to post on our instagram <laughs> answers too most definitely i think we should definitely do that Awesome. Well, yeah, I hope you guys learned um, learned some information about the Andromeda galaxy that you might not have known before. I know I learned a bunch of new things. Um, and huge thanks to Kimberly for doing all of the research and legwork for this episode. It's um, not a trivial amount of work. So you did a great job. And uh, yeah, and we'll we'll kick it off with the last segment of every episode that we do, which is our five weird but true facts. Um, so I'll go ahead and do our first fact. And that is um, that scientists have named a potential planet, uh, Planet Nine, 
that is a giant planet that might be lurking beyond Neptune in our solar system. Wow. And so they should have an answer within 10 years whether there truly is another planet there. But if it's not another planet, it could be a black hole that's the size of a grapefruit. That's actually, that's really, that's, I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time yeah. now. <laughs> yes. Stay posted. We'll get back to you in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So everyone has different fingerprints, but also everyone has different tongue prints, which is, to me is, is very interesting. I did not know that. And it, I'm like picturing a world where instead of fingerprinting people, like the police have you <laughs> lick some ink, <laughs> ink well. <laughs> well, I guess too, if I'm ever getting murdered, I could just lick a lot of things and then hopefully... <laughs> Yeah. They can find in my tongue somewhere and match it to the wall. <laughs> uh, let's see. Fact number three. Um, Uranus's or Uranus's moon named Miranda looks like it had extreme volcanic activity. Like the surface of it has a ton of pits and craters that you see with volcanic activity, but it's much too small to generate that kind of heat on its own. So it's sort of a mystery. <laughs> Ooh, and it's named Miranda. That's... Miranda. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> it is really cute. Lobsters pee from their faces. Yes. <laughs> so they eat in the, in the same in So the same it, hole? apparently <laughs> the it gets females in the mood. So it's a specialized nozzle on the face. and Or actually, wait. <laughs> to get in the mood, the female waits outside his den, peeing in his direction. <laughs> ladies take notes (laughs) and this is why we are all failing (laughs) not all of us (laughs) oh my gosh that's funny all right our last fact for today is that um usain bolt the um olympic runner if he were to run at his highest recorded speed for 262 days he would be able to run the distance of saturn's rings wow that's insane wow (laughs) that blows my mind get on it you (laughs) saying all right well thanks everyone for joining us thanks again kimberly for doing all the work and we hope to see you uh next time on our next episode thank you thank you bye thanks for tuning in to astrophiles Please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at astrophiles underscore podcast, at Kimberly1985, and at Mickey Negus. We'll catch you next time, but until then, don't let gravity get you down.